Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. I'm a blurred with a love for artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a writer and blurred with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent much of our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a DC production, compare it to its original source material, and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This month, we're checking out New Earths as we hop across the DC-verse on... Yet another DC animated podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment Family. Hello, and welcome to Recent Activity, your new favorite entertainment review podcast that attempts to cover every film, every show, all at once. I am your co-host, Andrew Morgan. With me, as always, are two men who are a quarter Navi on their mother's side, Shane Beauregard. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> and Chris Frodell. Where are my blue creatures at? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully having blue meth parties, man. Like, have the oh, crossover God. that everybody's actually looking forward to, not a, a three-hour movie that we're not going to cover on this podcast, thank goodness. <laughs> Because nope. we probably have more than enough ones that are almost three hours. I sort of got, I think that's my breaking limit now. Like, unless you're Lord of the Rings, I just can't freaking do it. Three hours is no. like just too much. You guys agree yeah. with that? Like, it has to be so special to be three hours, right? It has to be like Infinity War special for, yeah. for me to watch a three-hour movie. Right. Like, 2.40, I break out in hives. Yeah, it's just too much. Like, uh, you know, we'll get into it, but Babylon, my Christmas movie, is like three hours and seven minutes. I don't think I'm going to do it. I know. <laughs> I'm still going to do it because it just feels like pure cocaine for three hours. So I think if I'm going to spend the time, that that would be the time. It's be careful what you wish for. You know, for all those times you're just like, oh, man, I wish they'd, they'd bring me more. And then they come out with a sequel. It's like, okay, we're getting our uh, our itch scratched. But now it's just like one sitting. They're like, guess what? You got your sequel in one film. Yeah. We gave you a season of television in one freaking movie. <laughs> yeah. And you're just yep. like, oh, my God. But it kind of leads into what we're kind of doing today, though, because today we're going to do the streamer's guide to award season because we had the Golden Globe nominations come out, Critics' Choice nominations come out, and coinciding with those is a lot of these movies that maybe people didn't see in the movie theater and by saying maybe more than likely we'll get into that in a minute are now all platforming on either pbod or a streamer near you so which they're all near you they're on your television i don't know what i'm saying <laughs> anymore but you get the point they're all available in some way all these movies that we're going to talk about today we're going to review some of them and then mostly just kind of clue into where some of these are um, and maybe our opinions on them, what we're looking forward to all across the board. But I wanted to get kind of into the whole, is this reality good for us or good for anybody? Because I actually look forward to award season every year. Chris is kind of lukewarm. And I know Shane has PTSD from the one year that he tried <laughs> to watch all of them and then realized that is not something he ever wants to do again. So I get it uh, in that. But, you know, for me, um, we were talking off air where it was like after Thanksgiving, after like the meal of Thanksgiving or after we exchanged gifts on Christmas, my family all the time would just it was go to the movie theater, go to the movie theater. A lot of the big releases were on Christmas Day 
And now I'm just looking around. I'm looking at the the movie times and everything else, and I just go, God, what is there to see? Is anything working? Is it only blockbusters? Like, it's kind of sad out here if you're a cinephile who loves these awards bait, these Oscar bait type movies, and a lot of them just didn't make any money. Is this something where it's like a big problem, Chris? Is this something where, like, the only people who care about these movies are of a certain age, maybe, or care about these award shows are a little bit older, and then we just don't go to the movie theaters as often? As often? I don't know what's going on. Well, I can only speak for myself when it, it comes to uh, my my taste in movies is all over the map. Right. So, you know, I'm into blockbusters. I'm into the small independent features. I'm into the uh, the the uh, intentional dramas, you know, those dramas that were just like, we're going to make you cry. Yeah. Get yeah. It. And, uh, you know, those usually lie within the, you know, the Oscar bait, as right. uh, as we like to say. But, yeah, there's uh, it, it seems like the movies that we are interested in, you really have to seek out. I know when I visited Shane, uh, we were trying to find uh, a theater that had uh, the Banshees of Inisherin. Yeah. Uh and we were tricked. We were we were told that it was <laughs> at a certain theater. We looked it up, we called up, we, you know, sent carrier pigeon. We couldn't find out the truth as to where it was playing. So we scrapped that idea. Right. Uh I know we've brought up before that uh the whale was playing by me and you had looked it up and it wasn't coming up for years. Yeah, searches. it wasn't even coming up on my phone, like the so, showtimes couldn't list. Yeah. It, it, it's very hard for for any campaign to work to get people to see these films. Right. Um, and I don't know why that is. You want people in the seats. You want people to to uh, basically have an opinion formed for the award seasons. Right. And it, it's becoming harder and harder. Yeah. And I think based on uh, how our podcast goes too, like, it just seems to be a problem where I can't be like, oh, man, the new Spielberg movie came out. We should do an episode on that. Well, some of you guys can't make it to a theater or doesn't have it around you. Or it's like a theater 30, 40, 50 minutes away from you and you can't get there. Or, well, if we do an episode like that, who's listening? Because it they didn't make any money. I went to go see The Fablemans. I was the only person in the theater. So, like... How can I be confident that we can release an episode and people are going to be like, yeah, I want to know their thoughts on this movie that I didn't get a chance to see and will probably wait for streaming. And that's why it's like now is almost weirdly the time to talk about some of these movies that were out in theaters months ago because they're all, you know, either on PVOD or streaming in some capacity. And I feel like especially people our age, like that's. That's how we're doing it nowadays. And a lot of people, I don't even know if it's just us or our age bracket, but it seems like everybody. And they all wait until now, which is when the award season starts to kick in in full force uh, with some of these nomination stuff. And even the Golden Globes itself, I think, is a month away. Not even. Um, the, The Gotham Awards, I think, already happened. The Independent Spirits are coming around the corner. So it's all going to start real getting serious if you're an awards movie but most of the people i know haven't seen these movies and some of the movies that were nominated aren't out in theaters or anywhere yet 
So it's such a weird time, and I don't know what to do with it. Shane, do you do you care enough about these things, or is this something you do routinely where it's like, I'll wait for these movies to get to streaming and check them out if I care? It, de- it depends. I'll be honest with you. It just depends. Like, I'm... Again, I, I'm not into the Oscar stuff like you guys are, but I, I delve. I do a little delving from time yeah, to time. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it, like forced. You, <laughs> you're right. Sometimes forced. Yeah. But I, I do see the landscape. It Like you said, it's hard. Like, I don't want to drive 30 to 45 minutes to go see a movie. You know what I mean? Sure. But like like you with the Fablemans, I went and saw Bones and All. I was the only one in the theater by myself. Yeah. And I was like, this really makes me sad because how are these theaters going to survive? Especially the one I went to was like an independent theater. It wasn't like a Regal or a Cinemark. It was just like a standalone kind of mom and pop shop. Yeah. And it just, yeah, it just makes me sad. But uh, I just think the way we consume movies now, much like everything else in this world, has changed forever. I just, I don't see anything. I don't see us going back. I see streaming is going to start just picking up more momentum and more momentum and then We'll see what happens to the theaters, man. It's just not looking good, though. No, uh, none of these movies that, like, if you looked at, uh, like, say, the Golden Globes had their their 10, right? The, the five that were up for best drama and the five that were up for best uh, musical or comedy. I can't tell you, let's see. I mean, Avatar is making money. Elvis made money. Top Gun Maverick made money. And and everything everywhere all at once surprised people to make money. <laughs> if not, all the other ones either suffered greatly at the box office, or you know was released only limited, like a Glass Onion or something, where it was like we're only going to do this for a week just to essentially market our film to get it to streaming, which people make fun of Netflix for for them only having it out in theaters for a week. It worked. It made a it made more money than a lot of these other films, and then a lot of people are going to watch it when it comes out on streaming on Netflix on Friday, because they're going to be like, oh, people told me that like they just start the word of mouth, you know, all the reviews are out and everything else, and it went into festivals and all the other stuff. So it's kind of a smart way to platform these smaller movies, um, because I'll tell you, I mean. Even I thought of, like, last year with, like, Licorice Pizza. Like, that movie platformed for a long time. Like, they started releasing it limited, like, I don't know, say back in, like, December or something. And then slowly played it and slowly opened it up until, like, for, like, six to eight weeks or more. And just kept opening theaters, opening theaters slowly but surely and just hoping people would do it. And it still didn't make that much money. And that's Paul Thomas Anderson. So the sad part to me with this year is that it reminded me that directors don't mean shit. Uh, it's hard for stars to open a movie. Like, and, and obviously some level of IP still is the only thing that opens up a damn movie unless you see something like Everything Everywhere All at Once, which has to be so good that it just spreads like wildfire and gets enough. And even then, that movie made... Just over a hundred million dollars, maybe, which is like, you know, Avatar made that over the weekend, <laughs> you know, or more right. than that over the weekend. So it's apples and oranges, but it's just so the box office is so weird, and this season really kind of shows what kind of like split we have in all this between like award season where nobody knows these movies 
unless your name is Top Gun Maverick, Avatar, maybe Elvis. And then everything else will just have to slowly, like, the fact that Banshees of Inisherin is on HBO Max, we'll get to that in a minute. I've seen more people post about that in the, la- in, in the last few days because it came out over the weekend than any of the pe- uh, people I saw when it was in the theaters. Um, even when it's successful, like we had this conversation when uh, Smile came out or Barbarian came out. I had more people talking about it once it hit HBO Max or uh, I think the other one's on Paramount, you know. Yeah. Whatever it's on, like more people said more things about it than when it was in the theater than obviously once it came out on streaming. So I don't get it. And I don't get how they can make their money back, which is sad. Like the Fablemans was like ninety million dollars or something, or some larger price tag, and wow, and it's not going to make its money back. And you know, it's just sad, and it makes it bums me out that I I, I want to see those movies. I was so happy that Glass Onion had like a packed theater when I saw it, and that's going to be on Netflix at the end of this week, and that was last month. So, at the same time, mind you, that The Fablemans was out. And nobody cared about The Fablemans, which was exclusively in theaters. And people all ran out to go see Glass Onion because it's a sequel to something they know is proven. And it's only out for a week. And didn't care that it was going to be on Netflix. So, you guys have any other thoughts on that before we, like, get into some of these movies? I mean, it's just a sad, weird state where... Nobody makes any money. There's no DVD sales, really. The, the PBOD market is weird. I don't know. I feel bad for these movies. I, I do, too. And like you said, I, I I can't really add anything to what you said because this makes me feel sad. I just, unless you're, like you said, unless you're Top Gun or a Marvel movie, you're not making any money. You yeah. know, people criticize DC and Marvel all the time, but it's like they're the only ones getting butts to the seats. And I mean, horror that's movies. what it's become. Horror movies and are horror- weirdly keeping that afloat. Yeah. Right, right. So, yeah. It's just a change in landscape, guys, and um, yeah, you just got to get used to it. <laughs> I guess, and honestly, I don't, you know, I've seen a lot of these movies we're going to talk about on a streaming platform because a lot of them came out recently. You know, things maybe we missed or whatever, and you know, it's not a huge loss. We all have like massive TVs with decent sound systems, and you know, it's all HD or 4K, you know, streaming platforms. So. The loss isn't huge, but there are definitely some movies where I'd be like, good Lord, please go see these in the movie theater. And I think a lot of people follow suit. You know, like, I made sure that I saw Elvis, which is not some large, you know, IP thing. I mean, he is his own personal IP, but, like, it's not, you know, it wasn't a big-name actor playing Elvis. It wasn't, like, this thing to where it's, like, massive explosions or whatever. It's just... You wanted to see it, these songs cranked up loud and this experience on the big screen. And I think people followed suit. That movie made money. So, and everything everywhere all at once. It's fucking crazy. And it has a lot of like either action or things. So people picked up on that and went and saw it. So I guess it just has to be such an experience to be out in theaters. Chris, do you feel like that's your motive for that? Is is like the drama's just done? I mean... I I would have preferred to see the Fablemans in the theater, uh, yeah. just because it's Spielberg. You know, yeah, you, right. he's got the right cinematographer. He's got the 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 right look to his films. That even if it's just a straight up drama, 
uh, like it was, or if it's like, uh, you know, his, uh, I don't know, uh, something along the lines of uh, Indiana Jones. Right. You know, you want to see his stuff on the big screen. But yeah, not all dramas deserve that. Right. And, you know, they they can have that intimacy of streaming at home or, you know, being available uh, on the home watch. Yeah. But it, it yeah, it really depends on what really just excites me as far as story. Yeah. Uh, you know, if it looks, you know, like a spectacle, you know, yes, of course you're going to go to the theater, but that doesn't say that it's Oscar worthy or, you know, it was an awards contender. It, yeah. It's, it's just a movie that either deserves it or doesn't. Yeah. There's uh there's theaters around, uh, you and I, Andrew, uh, uh, you have the, the Trumbull, mm-hmm. uh, Bowtie Cinemas. I have the New Haven, uh, Bowtie Cinemas. Yeah. But again, for me to go out, to go to that theater, I have to pay for parking. I have to pay for the movie ticket. I have to yeah. pay for the concessions. Yeah. It, it's an evening it and is. it becomes more expensive than it's worth. Oh yeah, totally. And even though I'll complain about the $20 rental, you know, uh, at home, you also got to yeah. go, if I watch that with one other person, that's $10 a piece and you don't yep. have to worry about, like you said, babysitters, parking, things of that nature. And yep. then on top of it, how long am I paying for this babysitter when the movie's over three hours or now like, oh my God, I, I am, I'm a huge cinephile, but if, if I go to another screen and there's 25 minutes of commercials and trailers before then, when, once yeah. it's past its start time, I'm going to lose my mind. It used to be 10. What's the point? It's not working. <laughs> Stop doing this. Pay the bill. Yeah. Sure. Do your commercial stuff. Putting the trailers... Like, I get that's part of the experience, but do you need all of the trailers? Because it's not working. <laughs> because if they're not in the movie theater already to see the movie, then it's not, nobody's going to be like, oh, did you see the trailer for this thing? Nobody cares. They're yeah. all online. And yeah. if you if you care, you'll go, you'll find it eventually. It'll make its way to you. I don't know. But it's it's a different experience now, and it is getting compromised. And I think the biggest people who are suffering are these awards films and now it's turning into a streaming market which people made fun of netflix for years and it's like well at least we know when exactly they're coming out where they're gonna be and that i don't have to move an inch to watch it so it's helpful um and i'm sure that other studios are gonna kind of start to maybe follow suit in certain ways but um let's dive in we have a lot of ones to to go over, but I wanted to kind of just put out there for the people, you know, what's available right now. So on just PVOD rental, in terms of just award stuff, you have Armageddon Time, you have Till, Bones and All, The Fablemans, The Woman King, Triangle of Sadness, She Said, Tar, and Marcel the Show with Shoes On, all that have uh, nominations uh, in some fashion between Golden Globes, Critics' Choice, or a lot of these critical bodies that have started to put it out. HBO Max just put out uh, Banshees of Inishirin. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, Elvis has been on there since it, it hit on streaming, and that's doing really well in terms of the awards chatter. Nope is on Peacock. 
Uh, Hulu has the documentary Aftershock, which is doing quite well. Same for Prime with Goodnight Oppie. Um, Apple TV Plus, Causeway's making a lot of noise. We'll talk about that one. Uh, Emancipation, Will Smith movie. So that's getting very divisive right now, and it doesn't seem to be surviving award season. Uh, but if you have Apple TV Plus, it's right there and available for you to watch. Everything Everywhere All at Once is on Showtime. Paramount Plus is going to have Top Gun Maverick. At, when this actually comes out, it'll be available to you, which Shane just made his pants tight, as he likes to say, uh, <laughs> that coming out. Um, and then movie, uh, if you even know what movie is, movie, uh, movie has a Decision to Leave, which is one of the uh, best international feature uh, candidates that's been kicking around the season as well. So tons of options. So you guys go out there, check a lot of these movies out, because we'll probably be, you know, diving into a bunch right now and then obviously as award season progresses we'll probably you know discuss a few more as it goes through or go back in some of our old episodes because i don't know probably a handful at least of the ones that i said and i haven't even gotten to netflix yet we've covered on this show uh and netflix between glass onion that i said that comes out on friday for the streaming white noise is in theaters now and is on streaming uh on the 30th you know, RRR is the exclusive spot for streaming for Netflix. Uh, and then they also have Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio and then All Quiet on the Western Front, which right now, just a shameless plug for me, uh, I'll be having my uh, top 10 Netflix original movies of the year article drop on what's on Netflix.com. So uh, look for that this week. Um, you can always search my name or look for that, but it should be out. Uh, sometime midtime this week and you can check it out because all those movies will be either soon to be or available on Netflix so you can just watch it check out my opinion and you know instant reactions go to the comment section or or hit us up on here for social media so shameless plug over for that one but let's get to some of the reviews and like I said even though I've already reviewed this uh, on our podcast um, I wanted to kind of bring out Banshees and Sharon again because this is the one that it made some money at the box office, but it wasn't like a huge release. Uh, but it's probably going to do quite well on streaming, especially because it's on HBO Max, which has a lot of subscribers. And like I said, I've seen a lot of people uh, already diving into this. And again, we said this with uh, Barbarian when they had that perfect release time like right during the the Halloween explosion, horror, everything else. I think this is the award season version of that where it's on HBO Max right now and it happened to coincide with them leading the Golden Globe nominations with eight and also had nine Critics' Choice nominations. So it's doing quite well. And one of those people who took advantage of it being on streaming is Shane. So I want to hear from you, buddy. I quite like this film. It was uh, it's definitely a top ten right now for me in in the season. Where did this land for you? Did you enjoy the Banshees and Sharon? I I think I messaged you messaged you guys when I was done. It's in my top five of the year easily. It's a strong. It's film. one of the yeah. It's a very strong film. I loved every minute of this film. I just like these two guys together. I like the just the location of where it's at. And it was a twisted story. Like it had me invested. Like it was, it, it's got some weird shit in here for lack of yeah. a better term, yeah. man. Like at the, at the lengths of which they're both 
like especially um what's the guys who am i looking for Brandon not Gleason? colin farrell but yeah the lengths he's going to to like stop colin farrell from talking to him yeah i was like wow yeah but man i really really loved every aspect of this movie and again it's probably in my top three if not five yeah it's a it's a it's a movie that's gonna shock people when you watch it it's classic mark mcdonough bringing back the in bruges team um you know and and, and that's that's a movie I go back and forth with Mark McDonough. How do you feel, Shane, about McDonough in general? Like, are you a person who liked Three Billboards or some of the movies that maybe I don't particularly love? His, like, Seven Psychopaths. I really like Imbruge in this one, and then the other ones are kind of mixed for me. I'm the same way. I like Imbruge is my, probably my favorite movie from him. Mm-hmm. I'm indifferent about Three Billboards. I could take it or leave it, and I really did not care much for Seven Psychopaths. Uh, so this is right up there within Bruges for me. Like it goes one, two and ask me on a different day. I might flip that order, but yeah. these are the, his two best. These are his two best films in Bruges and in this one. Yeah. He needs to kind of, I guess, leave the U S in his movies for me to like it. <laughs> you know, he needs to, <laughs> he needs to get weird in a small environment and just really concentrate on story. And I think it ends up being more effective. Um, like I mentioned when we had it on the pod, I also liked the, the parallel with the kind of Irish civil war period. Um, yes and how they kind of parallel the relationship and all that and you know and the and the uh performances amazing like uh, uh barry cogan cohagen uh, however it's pronounced yeah. i feel terrible that it, i i don't have that well on the tongue um he he's been getting nominated as well as the the lead two guys with gleason and and farrell um i've also seen uh carrie condon who plays the sister to Colin Farrell. She's been getting a lot of uh, nominations at, uh, for Best Supporting Actress as well, too. And I liked her quite a bit in it. I, I don't really remember her from much otherwise. So she was a standout for me in their small cast because it's a small town and it's a small story, but packs a punch. It really does and really just explodes literally and figuratively uh, in, in the end of that <laughs> film. Um so this is a strong recommend for you, Shane. It's a strong recommend for me. Like I said, it's right now on HBO Max, and it's gaining a lot of steam, and I wouldn't be shocked if it won Best Picture. I don't think it will, but I wouldn't be shocked if at the end of the day it gained <coughs> enough momentum to to take over some of these other ones. The next one I want to talk about is one of those movies that Banshees would have to overcome and we already alluded to it. Uh, Steven Spielberg's latest, The Fablemans, uh, is now currently on PVOD. And I believe it's soon to be also on, I think it would be Peacock, uh, with who he's hooked up with, if I'm not mistaken. So I think yeah. that's going to be on there soon enough as well. Um, Chris, you you saw this. I saw this in the theater, yeah. but you checked uh, checked it out over the weekend. Yep. How did you feel about the Fablemans? Because right now, it's essentially a lot of people are calling it a two horse race between the Fablemans and everything everywhere all at once. At least if you look at the betting odds for Best Picture, I was going to say that that's that is an amazing race. Yeah. Uh, because honestly, I love the Fablemans. Yeah. I, I told you guys that, that I really loved it because, uh, like, right off the bat, I'm just like, this is classic Spielberg. He he has the family dynamic down. He has, uh, you know, yes, it's the, his most personal story. It's essentially uh, what he experienced growing up as a, a 
budding filmmaker. Yeah. Um, the trials and tribulations of uh, of life of uh, home crumbling. Like I, I think in the right in the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie, I'm like laughing out loud Yeah, at, at some of the situations. And, um, you know, it really tugs at your, your, uh, heartstrings with, uh, with some of the stuff that he experiences. Yeah. And, uh, I, I have to admit, uh, there are parts where it's hard to watch. Yeah. Uh, of him being bullied for being like the only Jewish kid Yeah, in this new town. I was just like, Jesus, you know, we have to watch this. You know, it, it was it was pretty hard to watch, but um, overall, it, it just it made me feel good that I saw it. Yeah, it was a feel good film. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, this is like almost in a dead heat with me right now between that and Banshees of Inisherin, and that like just outside of the top five, but could see it cl- crawl in there because it's right on the edge there. Um, might have to do some rewatching now that a lot of a lot of <laughs> yeah. these movies are now back on streaming um, and uh, will help me kind of shape our list, which will come very soon, uh, I would imagine, because we're at the end of the year here. But <clears throat> yeah, I really like this movie. It's a, a return to form. I love Steven Spielberg. Um, and I would say I probably haven't even liked or like really was like over the moon about any of his movies in like a decade, which is sad. Like I hated ready player one. I thought the post is boring. You know, bridge of spies is okay. Like nothing that made me just go. Yeah. Fucking classic Spielberg. But this one, I was like, uncle Steve is back. You know, we're, (laughs) we're back in business here and you know, it's his life story, which, so everything hitting close to home, but he's not the person writing it you know he's he's working with his uh writing partner from his previous film west side story which again a movie that i thought was okay didn't really hit me i thought it was a little outdated and some of the updates didn't work for me so that was not a movie i was into either but this one it's a divorce drama shoehorned into a coming of age that works on anybody who should be into spielberg's movies like because you got all the early kind of becoming a filmmaker, gaining the interest, seeing where he goes with it on top of him filming his family. And when the family's falling apart, kind of like this kind of inside movie meta kind of thing going on inside there. Plus, as you said, I mean, it has everything from, you know, kind of first loves and and, you know, anti-Semitism and a lot of things that were going on in his uh, childhood the time period of his childhood and god it's just brutal but we knew that was kind of coming because all of his early films are like these spectacle movies that are shoehorned with families of divorce in them because that's yep. how he kind of saw the world and then you know et close encounters all those like early spielberg films have a lot to do with the divorce angle and now you see yep. why because you know that was a tough tough breakup between his his parents and it's a it's a it's an interesting story i i'm glad i saw it i'm glad i had this uh the movie theater all to myself but that doesn't bode well <laughs> for them of course um but yeah this movie is definitely worth watching it's currently like i said on pvod so seek out the fablemans join in on the awards season because that one's gonna be a player um whether people like it or not i've heard people be like you know 
Spielberg just needs to go to therapy. No, he doesn't. He's no. <laughs> he's like Film a seventy-year-old man who's a prolific director. Make a movie. That's how you work and, out your feelings. Do it. And it's funny how uh, last week we were talking about Kevin Smith and how you know he puts a lot of himself yeah. in his films, and then here we are talking about Spielberg, who does basically the same thing. He has a career built on <clears> it, and yeah. the same goes for him. You know the stories. You know uh, he's a, a child of divorce. He he, you know, puts himself into the movies, and yeah. uh, you know, you you definitely know what's coming if you know the stories. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I appreciate all that. I, I was I, it, I didn't feel the runtime. I was a little apprehensive. I think that's probably another two and a half uh, yeah. hour movie too, where I was just like, God. A, a drama about these type of things. It's hard to sell that yeah. and sell that runtime, but you know, it works for me. It worked on me. I didn't look at my watch once. I was nope. fa- following it the whole time. So I was going to say, I also want to add, uh, I watched it yesterday on Spielberg's birthday. Hey, there you go. Yeah. So it celebrate was ser- the it man. Was serendipitous. The legend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, and that's why Chris has, uh, the cool sh- facial hair for Papa Spielberg too. <laughs> so, you know, uh, <laughs> you'll see it in the promos. Yeah. So like I said, check it out. It's on PVOD right now. Definitely worth the money, worth the watch, uh, sit around with your loved ones, explain, uh, divorce to the young kids and, uh, what, you know. <laughs> mental health issues and everything else you know it's all it's great for the family so just everybody rent it gives papa spielberg his money and uh join in on the awards conversation because like i said it's it's a top performer right now um a few films that we're going to talk about now are all kind of like on the bubble i would say as far as award season goes sometimes you might see a nomination then another body is like eh, we're not that into it so i want to kind of get back in that uh Shane, you saw Bones and All, which is uh, the new Timothy Chalamet cannibal romance. Is that a fair assessment of uh, how to describe that film? That's Sorry, pretty God. pinpoint accurate. No, that, that's you hit the nail on the head. It's like if Romeo and Juliet ate people and took a road trip. <laughs> yeah. That's essentially what this movie was. It's uh, one of these films that, that gets done, and I just said, well, that was a movie because I don't mm. know how to feel about it. I mean – it's beautifully shot. It's a well-crafted movie. Um, whoever the film uh, cinematographer was was great. The landscape, it like just you felt the '80s as a backdrop to this movie, and the performances by Timothy and Taylor Russell, who at this point I've only seen her in the Netflix original uh, Lost in Space, where she played uh, mm. the eldest, uh, the youngest daughter in that sh- that show, and she she was great. But there are a lot of parts in this that are hard to watch because when they go in they go in yeah like it is pretty graphic yeah but i will say i do like how their take on cannibalism because they they attacked it from a standpoint that it could be genetic and passed down from in this case mother to child right um and that's kind of like her journey that's how she meets timothy on the road and he's kind of like he's the same way like what are the chances i know right but yeah sure he like (laughs) He like explains to her like how he survives, how he lives, and they just go on this road trip. And through the road trip, they they you know they fall in love, and you know. But then it has a good third act. But I don't, don't want to spoil it. But you kind of see it coming. That's the only thing that kind of pissed me off because you saw you saw it coming. I'm like, I don't like to be hit over the head like with the obvious stuff when right. it happens. 
but it's a it's a brutal film in in a lot of scenes and i did feel the runtime on this because it's two hours and 11 minutes mm-hmm. and you you do feel the runtime because it is a very slow methodical paced movie right this is a movie that I really want to see. I'm glad it's now available, and now I can try to check it out at home. I was trying to check it out for a long time, but the, the movie times just never matched up. But I have a few questions for you, because sure. there's been certain things. This is done by uh, Luca Guadagnino, who is uh, known for Call Me By Your Name, as well as other films. And I know you've obviously seen that movie. But the big the big thing about this film is that he worked with Army Hammer in 2017 with Call Me By Your Name. And then a documentary comes out, and obviously other stuff circulating, about Army Hammer's family being, like, cannibals or having some kind of cannibal instinct. And then all of a sudden, Luca Guadagnino has a movie about cannibalism and, like, a genetic component with it. And it's like, nah, it's just coincidental. <laughs> Do you buy that? Do you buy that? I don't. <laughs> the signs yeah, were all there. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. That is, I forgot he worked with Army Hammer, and all those rumors were flying around with the cannibal. Oh yeah. man, you make a good point. Yeah. Now, obviously, this is based on a book, which I haven't read the book, but yeah, interesting right. though the timing of all this stuff. Yeah. Do you think he got the book recommendation from Army Hammer? Is that maybe where we're going? Maybe, maybe that's the maybe. through line in all of this. This will change your life. <laughs> all right. The non. Why'd you uh, say it like that? <laughs> the non speculative question uh, that I have is that the way the trailer kind of looked, and I've heard this from other people too, and it made me actually excited to see it even more. Does it have the vibe of a near dark? Because, like, besides uh, the romance, kind of, like, Near Dark, I think, is almost a perfect vampire film for how they staged it in the time period and everything else. This one had a lot of those kind of vibes to it because it's a road trip with people who have a particular sort of monstrous lifestyle and however it goes. So it kind of works in that way. I'm curious if you've seen Near Dark, if you have those, any of those yeah, vibes yeah. or whatever. It it does have those vibes now that you bring it up. It's been a while since I've seen Near Dark, but yeah, it kind of there are some similarities there, especially the way that it, it kind of shoot the landscape around them. Yeah, but uh, no, you make a good point. I did it did have that because going into this movie, this is one of the few movies I did not watch a trailer for. Right. I had no idea. I thought it was some. I <laughs> thought it was set in some post apocalyptic world. That's why they have to be cannibals. But no, it's set in the eighties. So yeah, <laughs> I had no I had no idea. But right. no, uh, but you make a good point. Decade uh, and of excess. La- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. It's cocaine and cannibalism. That's what everybody knew the <laughs> 80s for. That's what we knew. Um, one last thing is Mark Rylance is getting some uh, nods for his supporting performance in that I hear his accent is something to behold. So what did you think of his performance and particularly his accent in the film? He made he made my skin crawl like it was <laughs> disturbing, disturbing. And he is and I mean, he is excellent. He's a standout in his in this film. Uh, I don't want to spoil it because that's where it's going to turn into. But his performance sure. was just gripping. I mean, he was great. But also, I wanted to take a shower when I got home because he <laughs> yeah. was just oh, he's so creepy. But yes, he was outstanding. Our friends at Mike, Mike, and Oscar like to liken his uh, accent to Mr. Hanky the Christmas Pooh. Uh, does that ring any bells? Did that feel 
accurate to you? You just put that in my head. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a, li- a little bit, a little bit. He's like, how? <laughs> oh my god! Uh, just putting those things together, Mark Rylance's face and that particular pitch or accent just. I would make my skin crawl too. So I wonder <laughs> if I'm gonna find it comical or creepy or a mix of both. I don't know. Um, uh, but yeah, it just uh, it seems like something that I'm. It's not gonna leave my brain <laughs> once I watch it. Gosh. Um, but hey, it's available on PBOD, and I will probably end up checking that out as well. Um, so I'm glad you at least were into it enough. It's a tough sell. I get that. So it's, it's a very tough sell, and I think I graded it a three and a half. Just on okay. how well the film was made. So I can respect it, right. but it's nothing I'll ever, ever watch again. <laughs> As yeah. is the award season way. Um, <laughs> let's stick with you, Shane, for a minute here and, and move on to another one that's kind of been on the bubble here, mostly known for one performance in particular, that is Causeway on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, this is a, kind of a comeback of sorts, because uh, it's been a minute since Jennifer Lawrence has been not only in in the Oscar conversation type movies, uh, but also just in a movie in general. Um, it's been, I think, four years, three or four years. She yeah. kind of like went away for a little <coughs> bit, um, and now she's back. And you know, it's a it's a it's a moving drama, right? With uh, you know, kind of a military aspect to it, PTSD and and the like. And I'm sure you, being a veteran yourself, can you know relate in some regard uh to what's going on uh on top of you know you're you're a film critic with us too right. so you know <laughs> it's, it's a good combination for you what did you think of causeway i loved it and i could see where a lot of people wouldn't like it because it is it's a, a slow-paced movie again i think it's right at two hours a little bit longer okay and it, it it does deal with jennifer lawrence and brian Bri- yeah brian tyree, tyree. henry yeah yeah, outstanding. And it's about their friendship. Like she comes home from war and all she wants to do is go back. She's trying to get cleared so she can go back to war. Right. And it's about her trying to fit in with her mom and society. But I love I think this is the best performance she's had in easily over a decade. Right. Maybe 15 years or so. Wow. And it's just yeah, it's just a, the friendship that kind of forms between her and Brian because uh, he's kind of a broke person, too. And they kind of meet each other at the perfect time of their life. But if you like a well-acted film that's on a smaller scale, because this is what it is, I loved it. But I could see a lot of people can say that they're bored by it because mm. it just really nothing really happens. It's like her, this little short period of her life trying to find herself. Right. So but I, I really it, I loved it. I loved it. I think I gave it a four and a half out of, out of five. Oh, wow. When wow. I rated. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, Brian Tyree Henry seems to be the story, at least as far as the awards conversation. Um, he seems to get a lot of Best Supporting Actor nominations, um, either in you know, like the the Globes or the Critics' Choice, and then on top of the uh, the wider critical bodies have come out with their best ofs, and he seems to pop up a lot. Um, so for a smaller movie, he seems to be getting some success out of this. Can you elaborate a little bit more on his performance at all? No, he was great. Like I said, they they work well together. They had uh, um they have good chemistry together, and again, he plays um someone who helps her out when she's home, and they form a friendship. But yeah, they're in the movie probably equal amount of time, and again, he plays a he has a backstory. Where he's like a broken individual as well, and they both lean on each other uh, in this movie. So he was great. So I could I could understand him getting some uh, kudos, but I also feel like Jennifer Lawrence might get overlooked for her role. 
mm. um, in this. But I thought, again, I, best work she's done in a long, long, long time. She seems to be getting overlooked. Do you, what, why would you say that? Because Tyree Henry is so good or just because the movie doesn't play to her character enough to make it like transcend? Yeah, I think I think it's the movie itself. Okay. Um, it's not like uh, Tyree like overshadows her. I think they're on equal footing as far as like what they did in this film. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's that, but I just think it's kind of the movie itself, uh, the way it was written. But she, I thought she did an outstanding job. That's great. I, I'm definitely looking forward to that. I have Apple TV Plus. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I celebrate that every day, even though they had their price increase kick in uh finally so they they did it right after our apple tv plus episode i still think that's hilarious that they announced (laughs) it as soon as i was like oh it's great because of the price point and then they ruined the price point so if you have apple tv plus uh be sure to check out causeway and see you know what all the fuss is about what shane was talking about and uh the praise specifically for brian tyree henry that seems to be permeating through award season uh, the last film we're going to do uh, is She Said, which is, of course, the journalism drama that centers around the Harvey Weinstein story that came out through the New York Times, uh, directed by Maria Schrader. And this is a movie a lot of people are going to kind of, you know, you always point to, is it as good as like these top journalism movies that we all seem to enjoy, like your your spotlights or all the president's men or these type of things. And this is a, a much more complicated story to bring about cinematically. And I thought they did an admirable job. Um, I think they did a tougher story because it's mostly about the conversations with the women who were taken advantage of and basically uh, attacked by uh, Harvey Weinstein and uh, how it is pervasive throughout the entertainment industry and how, you know, it kind of leans towards, you know, kind of a lot of the parallels with the Catholic Church and, and the cover-ups and kind of moving people around, nobody mm-hmm. really getting punished, um, that it's all just part of the industry. Um, they kind of go into that a lot. It's also just not a flashy movie, though. So it's hard for people to maybe push this forward in an award season but i think it's Mm -hmm. definitely worth watching it's got a lot of good performances it's just very understated and subtle and it doesn't like i said doesn't have these like flashy aha moments it's mostly just you know waiting for these these women to kind of come around and and push the story forward um and and take down such a large looming figure such as Harvey Weinstein, even in the face of you know losing your career. Um, Chris, you saw this as well. Uh, do you yeah. echo any of those sentiments? Like, what did you feel about she said? Yeah, uh, it definitely leans uh, heavily into the journalistic aspect of it. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, I need you to go ask this person what they know. Yeah. Uh, find this person ask them questions you know it's it's a lot of like it's a lot of travel to get the information yeah and you know having someone as huge a name as harvey weinstein it's not going to be as simple as a couple of people saying yes this is what he did to me right and uh it just proved like there are not covers uh, cover-ups but 
people who will benefit from not having it out. Right. Or, you know, excuses for uh, the women being attacked. Right. Uh, like, oh, all they had to do was say no. Or why'd they stay in the the, uh, the offices as long as they did? You know, it's a yeah. lot of victim shaming. Yeah. Um, it's just one person in the industry, and it's a name that everyone knows. Right. But there's a lot of people still out there. There's a lot of people that get away with it on a daily. Yeah. And, you know, yes, this sheds light on it, but again, it, because it's not flashy, how many people are going to be uh, watching it? How many people are going to be uh, retaining the information that they are getting from it right. where they're like, we have to stop this at a, a bigger level, at a grander yeah. scale, you know? Yeah, um, for sure. But I, I think the performances uh, really did well with uh, telling the story. Yeah. Um no one slacked, I don't think. <laughs> For sure. And and it's uh it's Megan Tui and Jody Cantor, the real life people played by Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan. And Carrie Mulligan mm-hmm. seems to be the person who comes up the most in terms of the award season. Uh I think mostly that's because of the name. Because honestly, Zoe Kazan is kind of the default lead here because she kind of does more of the legwork it's her initial story and it feels more like her work whether they're meant to put it that way or not but it's just this culture of fear that people need to see and recognize what they were up against and kind of this you know the women having to kind of come together as a group or like how one big block you know can have the rest of these people uh, these women, these victims, come forward and tell their stories because if it backfires, you get a story like Rose McGowan, who a lot of people know her story and her yeah. connection with this story where, you know, just straight up blacklisted. If you go against Harvey Weinstein, there's multiple people yeah. like that, but she was probably one of the more prominent ones. And they talk to people in here. You don't see some of them like you don't see Gwyneth Paltrow but she's a named person here Ashley mm-hmm. Judd's a big part of this story you know and obviously Rose McGowan as well so you kind of see it from a lot of different sides a lot of fear a lot of people not being reluctant to come forward but wanting to kind of help and it's just a constant drag of who's on the record who's off the record how can we piece this together to actually make it a plausible coherent story that people will grab grab onto, and then you see the the byproducts of that, the Me Too movement, more people coming out who weren't in the initial story, just this thing ballooned and became not only uh, something to take down Weinstein, but also become a movement onto itself. So it's good to kind of see how these things piece together. But I understand in a way why maybe this film would get overlooked, but I would say don't. I would say it's definitely worth watching. Um, it's, again, not as noisy as some of these other films that are going up. And, and you know, Maria Schrader is not, say, Steven Spielberg, so you can't just go based on complete reputation. Um, so it's you're going off of the hope that people see someone like, you know, Carrie Mulligan or just knowing the story and we'll, and we'll check it out. And I will say, and I'm sure you're saying too, Chris, that it is a solid movie and definitely worth the time. Oh, yeah. And uh, actually, uh, 
there there were a couple of uh moments where uh kind of hit me emotionally yeah sure uh being a uh a, a father of a daughter uh you know and and the fact that men with power get away with so much sure and these these women don't ask for the positions that they're put in yeah and you know they're either made martyrs or uh pariahs right it's just it's it's disgusting and uh and like i said there's more people still out there besides him oh and i think today uh today as of the recording uh uh harvey was uh found guilty on rape charges oh was he i know like you know he was back on trial just almost right around when the movie came out so uh if they came to a verdict and everything that'd be amazing so i believe so don't don't quote me, but he was in the news uh, prior to us recording. Yeah. Uh, recording, and I think uh, I think the, a verdict was met. Well, he's still serving a very long sentence, so that yeah, we're not going to hear from him uh, yeah. regardless. But I'm glad people are still seeking justice against him uh, because it's just so important and and good to keep. You know, not only just for Weinstein, but I'm sure there are many Weinstein type characters. Maybe not as Oh yeah, big in the business or what have you, but just this kind of behavior uh, needs to be taken to task, and people need to be reminded. Um, and I didn't mean to sound uh, like I was shorting uh, Maria Schrader. She is definitely uh, someone who is on the rise. Just not a lot of people know her. She uh, she was uh, directed four of the episodes of Unorthodox, which was a huge series for Netflix. She did I'm Your Man, which was uh, a movie that um, with Dan Stevens that was. Uh, a film that was batted around around the best international feature stuff for a while uh, last year. Uh, so, you know, good on her. She's definitely got a, a career that's really coming together, starting to get more prominent by the day. So hopefully she maybe will be uh, amongst the ranks of some of the more prominent directors and be able to maybe open a, a movie on her reputation alone, let alone a story like this. So she said is also on PVOD rental so you could check that out right now uh, online. You know, go to Apple or Prime Video or what have you and, and find it there. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of these movies, like I said, some of them are on the bubble. We're gonna see. Uh, not all of them got like Globes or critics, and we're gonna. It's gonna be a while until we get the uh, Oscar nominations. I think we're about a month away on that as well. So definitely check these films out. We're gonna probably talk more best of stuff in the in the weeks to come here um because you know we have a lot of opinions guys we're here every week we gotta (laughs) fill that time it's been a long year um you know and it'll be interesting to see how much our lists have changed since we started this podcast back in may um and usually this time of year is when it's just crammed in of all these oscar bait films uh, or awards contenders so it'll be interesting to see it go head to head with something like Maverick, everything, everywhere, all at once. All these movies that we praised back in the middle part of the year. So, mm-hmm. anything else, guys? Before we we get out of here, anything that maybe we didn't uh, talk about that's like something that's on the brain uh, that you're looking forward to now that it is coming to streaming. Well, I am looking forward to uh, Knives Out, Glass yes. Onion. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Wait, that's the only thing, <laughs> and it's it's this Friday. So yeah. That's as immediate as I get. 
Yeah, I, I'm. I'm like I said. I'm currently putting together that top ten article, uh, and as well as the, if you want to check out my Glass Onion solo review, uh, it's also on what's on Netflix.com as well. But now's you know Netflix's time normally, and we've seen them really come out with uh, some stuff that is still in the Oscar contention of like Pinocchio, uh, Glass Onion, All Quiet on the Western Front, which I caught. Uh, recently as well and maybe I might save it a little bit for when we get into the best ofs but I will say this was an incredibly impressive film that Shane talked about uh, a few weeks back probably at this point yeah um, so go back and check out one of our other kind of like streaming recommendation episodes I believe um, maybe the one with the the weird owl as the centerpiece that episode I think it was um, where Shane gives his opinion on it but I absolutely echo everything you uh, praised about it back then and it's it's definitely up there for uh for netflix's better stuff of the year and it was nominated at critics choice and golden globe in uh, best international feature and people think it has a really strong shot at winning so and i hope it does because it, it's really good and it's definitely the best international movie i've seen this year so mm. good on them for that um, I would also say um, on the 30th, White Noise, the new Noah Baumbach movie, uh, which is currently in theaters now uh, and will be on the streamer, like I said, on the 30th. I saw this at New York Film Festival. I watched it again in the theater. It was much better the second time. I know those are always hard movies to be like, yeah, this is a lot of movie to take in, so please <coughs> watch it more than once. It's always hard to say to people. But this one, I was... I felt it was so much of an easier watch. I liked it a lot more, and it definitely rose up my rankings because of it. So White Noise is definitely something to check out um, that I can recommend on the 30th there. And RRR, which is something that Shane uh, reviewed previously on here as well, is still in awards contention as well. Um, it's got probably got an outside chance of being in the Best Picture 10. So, you know, it sucks that, uh, its native country isn't putting it up for best international feature, so we're not going to see it kind of go head to head with the all quiet on the western fronts of the world or, or any of that. But definitely uh, is worth watching. Another three hour movie to put on your pile, um, but at least this one is just action packed. So uh, mm. maybe a little more of an easier three hour watch uh, for you to take in. So a lot of stuff is available now. Go check them out. And, and follow the awards race, because we might have an episode here from time to time where I'm going to be like, isn't this great? And you guys go, eh. So, like, yeah. you know, I'll drag you guys along through the award season, and be sure to subscribe to us, check us out every single week, and we'll be back next week for more recent activity. <laughs>